Last Sunday night, we had a real special time at the Omni for those of you that were able to make it. You know, it's always a good time. Some are able to get away for a day, two days, and uh, we'll come back for services on Sunday morning. And for those that can, they can drive down during the days. But it's been really neat, especially the past couple of years, to be able to celebrate Lord's Supper together. And so uh, this past year, um, we were able to plan a little bit further in advance because the Omni said, listen, why don't we go ahead and We'll, we'll allow you the opportunity to, won't you go ahead, instead of having to wait, we're going to give you a, a conference room so you guys will have something. So we're able to plan a little bit further in advance instead of going, okay, guys, here we're going to do it now at 6 o'clock. We're going to get together at 6 because they've got an opening. Because usually to, to have a room there costs about five, six, seven, and I'm not paying no five, six, hundred, seven hundred dollars to get together, okay? <laughs> just the way it is. We just ain't doing that. Um, so they said, listen, we're going to give you a room. So we got together and we celebrated. We were going to share some testimonies. Just a sweet, sweet time. A lot of neat things happening around as we were sharing with kids and adults, all of us that were there in the room. And uh, there were some really intimate conversations that were happening. And, and, I, and I don't, Leslie's probably not here. She's probably passed out someplace. There is Leslie. She worked herself from going not a joy and then working last night at Catfish Johnny's and for Mr. Bill and Miss Betty and their benefit. And, but uh, she stood up and she shared a testimony and she said something like this. She said something about family being broke and, and problems. And I, I made a comment back. I said, I don't know too many families that aren't broke and families that don't have problems. If you don't have problems and issues in your life, would you please stand? We'd like to give you an applause right now. <laughs> Families got problems. That's just the way it is. <clears throat> and so we're in the middle of this conversation and things are happening and tears are being shared and things. It's just a really sweet, sweet time. And um, I went back and, I, and, and I, I felt like the Lord said, go back to the book of Acts. Because can you imagine what it would be like to be an outsider looking in on the inside of a group of people that were living as Christ desired for them to live? Can you imagine what that would be like? How odd of a feeling that that might be to see some of the interactions and some of the things that would take place. And so as I was sharing that, I went back and read some passages of Scripture. And I, I read of, of, of what it was like they were amazed. And, and there was, a, there was a, a gentleman that stood up and he was white as a sheet and he was shaking. I'd never seen him before. And he said, I know exactly what they felt like because I feel like that right now. He said, I'm really confused. He said, I've been to church before. And he said, I've never, I've never experienced anything like this. And he said, I, I've got my own set of beliefs that I've developed, but I've, I've never, you guys talk about God like he's your friend. And he said, you, you guys act like you love one another and you're, you're talking about it. He said, this is different than anything that I've ever experienced before. And he said, I'm really confused and I don't really know why I'm standing up here right now because I'm really scared. And he said, but I felt like I needed to tell you, I know what it's like, what they felt like when they were looking in because I'm looking on you, inside on you, and I don't really know really what to feel. And what, I'm, what I have thought I believed is really being challenged right now and I'm just really confused. And he said, I don't know really what to say except, and he paused for a moment, and he said, praise God. Praise God. And he went and sat down. And I thought, boy, isn't that interesting? Isn't that very interesting? 
but he had been invited and he'd come wasn't even supposed to be there that night but they had picked him up earlier um, he wasn't supposed to join them until afterwards uh, but we had a great conversation mark uh, jordan and i had an opportunity to talk to him afterwards after we celebrated the lord's supper and uh, there was some information that was given to him and four or five others that had come because they were looking for, and they said, I, I would hope that we would find, to be able to find a place that, that would be like this within our area. And so with Melvin's help and some others, we were able to connect them with the church. So I'm hoping this morning that they're in that place, worshiping with a group of people that will love on them and they'll see Jesus. And through that confusion, they'll come to an enlightenment and they'll come to know Jesus and want to trust him and follow him. Now, with that being said, we're coming out of the book of Nehemiah, and man, what a powerful time. But now let's take a, a little bit of a detour, and why don't we go from a book study, and why don't we now look at more of a topical study, and, and why don't we try to, to put together a, a few pieces of a puzzle, because this is sort of what I've been hearing lately, and I think this is very appropriate for us. Because I don't know of too many people who don't go through difficult times or times of stresses or tensions when our faith or those things that we say that we believe aren't tested. And this is what I know. There are a lot of people that sit in the pews every day that come to church and they think their understanding of Christianity is if I trust Jesus, I don't have problems. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Okay. When you love Jesus, you're going to have problems. The truth is though, there's hope. And you know from which the foundation that you stand and you don't have to be afraid because even in the midst of those struggles and those stresses and those issues that you face the foundation itself is secure because you're anchored in um, but let's sort of talk about some issues that I, I think are really important over the next several weeks let's walk through this through our time in September and through October all the way up till till uh, October the 18th or so and, and let's sort of try to unpack this issue um, and answer the question what do I do in those times when I really don't know what to do what do I do in those times when everything that I have believed in held on to all of a sudden seems to fall apart what do I do when life itself, when those issues that I face, that all of a sudden that I can't fix them? What do I do in those times when all of a sudden that I've had a handle on life, Linda, and all of a sudden I don't have hold of that steering wheel any longer and I can't control it? I can't direct it, I can't steer it, and I'm out of control. Because if you're like me, you've probably been there at some point in time in your life. And if you haven't, you will, Steve. And I'm going to tell you what, if you aren't anchored in, whew, it's a ride. It's like sticking your head out of the window going down the road like 75 miles an hour. Have you ever seen that, you know? All of a sudden, your lips in the back and your hair is going back. It's a wild ride. I've shared with you guys our, one of our experiences when... You know, it's really difficult when you walk through a time and all of a sudden you don't have control because where do you turn? One of those experiences for Meredith and I was when we were dealing with infertility for 12 years. The doctors 
the medications, the prayers, the disappointments, the discouragements, and just that feeling of, you know, what in the world are we supposed to do? You know, 12 years. Now, I'm not talking 12 months, and I'm not talking 12 weeks. I'm talking 12 years. That's a long time. 12 years. But see, the issues that you guys may deal with or may have had to deal with may not be something like infertility. It may be something, I don't know. It could be, um, maybe it's a job stress. Maybe it's, maybe it's an issue within your job. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's something where you really used to enjoy your job, really used to like your job, love your job, love really going to, to work, and all of a sudden now you don't really like going to work. You really don't want to go to work, but you have to go to work because if you don't go to work, you're going to lose your job, and there's nobody else going to pay you the pay that you get because you've been there for so long. Are you with me? And you know that nobody else is going to pay you what you're making, but you sort of got to go. Maybe it has something to do with, um, maybe it's your marriage. I, I, maybe it's a relationship like a marriage. Maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's the fact it's not a divorce, but in reference to hope and hopelessness and fixing and solving, not anything that either one of you really want to solve. You, not want to get a, you don't want to get a divorce. But there's really no hope, and you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel because both of you are basically saying, I'm not getting a divorce, but I'm not really willing to change. Are you with me? And so as you look ahead and you look into the future, you're like going, what? You know, or maybe it's your, maybe it's your children. Maybe, 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 you're, maybe you're in reference to your children, and all of a sudden you, you, your children are gone, but now they're back for whatever the reason. And you thought for the longest of times that this would be the, the golden years. But they're definitely not golden because all of a sudden the children's problems and struggles have now come back to you and it's putting a stress on you and your marriage and your life. And as you look ahead, there just doesn't seem to be any way that it can be fixed or those problems to be addressed. And it's affecting everything that you can do. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a sickness that you have. Maybe it's a sickness that a friend has. There's not anything that you can do. And where do you turn when there's no, doesn't seem to be an answer? It may not be something that's life-threatening, but maybe it's something that's going to hold on and it's going to affect you for the rest of your life. And there's not anything that you can do. Maybe it is something that is life-threatening. And you know, you've been told by the doctors that there's only so much so much time. But what do you do when there's nothing that you really feel like you can do? Where do you turn? What do you, what do, what do, you do in those times? What do you do in those, in those moments of, of tension when you can't fix or solve the issue that you're walking through? What do you do when you're, when you're challenged? See, what, what do you do when there seems to be no solution to the problem. Or what about, what about this? What, what about the circumstances that you end up facing and you try to fix them or solve them and only seem to make them worse? How many of you guys have had things around the house that 
you knew you needed to call somebody to fix before you started, but you didn't. You, you went ahead and did it anyway, and you ended up having to call somebody, and it ended up being a whole lot worse because you messed it up. Are you with me? Ladies, how many of you? See, some of you wanting to raise your hands and say, my husband did that. How many of you have tightened that screw just one too many times, and all of a sudden you just, and you go, why in the world did I, did I do that? How many people have quit a job going to another job because the grass was greener only to get to the other side of the pasture to realize that it wasn't greener? And then all of a sudden, Steve, <laughs> it ain't the Chick-fil-A I left, you know? I mean, how many people have done that? How many people have gotten a divorce thinking, well, you know, he's the problem or she's the problem, only to a couple of years later down the line get, a, get remarried to another person only to realize the problem still exists. And there's only one common denominator, and it isn't the other person. How many people have tried to drink away their problems only to wake up the next morning and to realize that they're still there, but now there's maybe a compilation of some other issues that have taken place the night before that you didn't even realize that it happened because you drank too much. How many times do we sit down and compare ourselves to other people? You ever done that? You see what's going on in somebody else's life, and as a result of that, man, it's so easy to get angry and resentful, isn't it? To get mad because it seems like you just seem to always be getting the short end of the stick. And everybody else has it so much better than you do. And then there's those people that you end up being around. And, and listen, they, they don't mean anything by it, Melvin. But I know you've been there. They don't mean anything by it, and they're just as sweet and kind and innocent. But it seems like every time you're around them, they just are, they're digging it in. They're digging it in. Because it seems like, man, my marriage is so good. You know, my kids are so good. My finances are so good. I got that brand new boat. We're going on that brand new cruise. Are you with me? And it seems like you're like going, would you just... Be quiet, but on the outside you're smiling, but on the inside you're like going, get me out of here. Yeah. Because life just hasn't panned out the way that you thought it should. It's not turning out the way that you thought it should. And then you start listening to the, the voices. Tom calls them tapes. Tom and Sandy as they talk with couples they say it's so easy for us to listen to those tapes those voices in our heads are you with me those voices those lies that Satan has a way of of throwing our way and here's a couple of those lies because if you listen for long enough when you can't sort of control things you can't sort of work things out here's some of those voices that maybe you'll hear like I'll never be happy again chip you ever heard that I'll never be happy again Never. My mom used to say, don't ever say never. But you, I, I bet you've said that before. I'll never be happy again. Or, or even what about this? There's nothing good that will come out of this. 
You know, and you can take somebody and you can sit them down and you can say, listen, let me tell you a story about what you're going through because I meet a lot of people. Let me tell you a story about somebody that was exactly where you are. And let me tell you how, man, God just went around and he changed. He changed it all. And let me tell you about what he did and, and how there was success and how there was, man, they just came out of it. And, and when you're walking through that dark valley, they're like going, would you please just, because I just can't believe it. Because when you're in the darkness of the valley, it's hard to believe that something like that could take place. I had a family member one time that looked at me, and in the midst of the conversation, they were talking to me about something going on within their family. There was infidelity that had taken place in the marriage. And just as honestly and innocently as they could, in just an intimate moment, they looked at me and said, Have you ever seen a marriage survive? Have you ever seen a marriage survive? When somebody has gone through something like this, and I said, yeah, I said, I have. I've said, I've seen marriages not only survive, I've seen marriages thrive. And they just looked at me and said, I, but I can't see, I can't see anything good coming from this. I can't see anything good coming from this. And you know what, you get down to the place really and honestly that it's, it's so easy to listen to that voice in your head that says, there is no hope. And where in the world do you think that that voice would come from? Is that a voice from the Lord? Or is that a voice from Satan? So I say all of that to say this, where do you turn when there seems to be no place to turn, Danny? What do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in a set of circumstances that you can't seem to fix? Now, this is what I know because this may not be today as we talk about this, this may not be something of the past for you. This crisis may not be something of the past, and this crisis may not be something of the future, but this may be a crisis of circumstance right now that you're going through. And it may not necessarily be a crisis of circumstance right now that you're going through. This might be not only a crisis of circumstance, but it might be a crisis of faith, of your faith. But this is what I know, that our faith isn't faith. And it doesn't really become faith until our faith is tested. Steve, that's a good thing to remember. Our faith really isn't faith until our faith is tested. And it's worked out. And so, in saying that, um, how many people have stumbled into thinking that maybe God just doesn't know what's going on or maybe God doesn't care about what's going on, or maybe God just isn't interested in you, in your life. But this is important. God's silence does not mean that he is absent. Now, have you ever had a time in your life where, where you wanted to put God in a room someplace and put him in a shelf and put him off on the corner? Here you are as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, and, and you are at a place in your life where you're wanting to do something that you know, know that isn't right. And so in doing that, what you say is, okay, God, I want a little bit of separation time from you so I can do what I want to. Are you with me? 
so, so that I can do what I want to, I'm going to put you over here on the side. I want to I come back to you, and I'm going to bring you out of the box on Sunday morning so that when I go to church, me and you are tight, okay? But tonight, I'm going to put you on the side a little bit because I want to do what I want to do. I want to watch what I want to watch. I want to go to the place on the computer that I want to be able to go on the computer. Are you with me? See, I want to go tonight and hang out with the girls, and I want to go where we want to go. And so, God, I want to put you on the side tonight, or I want to go out with the guys, and we're going to do some guy things. And God, so I just want to put you on, because God, I don't really want to bring you along with me, because I don't think, God, it's really a place that you want to go. So I'm going to put you on the side tonight. You ever done that? Have you ever made up your mind, God, this isn't a place that I really want to take you, because I don't think you're going to go, you're going to want to go there, so I'm going to put you on the side. Have you ever intentionally shut God out? Have you ever intentionally shut God out and brought God back out when you thought it was convenient? I want you to remember this. As much as we try to tune God out and shut him out, he'll never shut us out. You know how I know that? There's a passage of scripture in, in John, one of the most famous passages of scripture. And it tells me in the scripture that this, that God doesn't love me because I'm lovable. And it doesn't tell me that God loved me because I loved him back. But John said this, that, that he loved me, he loved the world, and he gave his only son for me. Because he loved me. It wasn't because I did something for him or because I was lovable or anything, but he loved me, period. And John settled all the questions about God's love. In those moments when I feel that God may be far, far, far away, he's not far away at all. Tanya, in some of those long road trips that you have to make back and forth to work, in some of those things that go on in your mind, God's not far away. He knows exactly what's going on in your mind. And mark some of those things that go on in your mind, God knows exactly. Exactly. And carrying some of those things that maybe God knows exactly where you are. And so when you find yourself with that stinking thinking, which all of us are prone to, what you got to do is you got to say, okay, this is what I'm feeling, but what does the scripture have to say? So what I want to do is I want to take a couple of stories, and I just want to share them really briefly today, and we're going to open up, and we're going to sort of ask the question, you know, where do I turn in those times? What do I do in those times when I feel like God isn't present? Because I think these two stories sort of open it up for us. One of those stories I think you may be somewhat familiar with, the other one maybe not so much familiar with. It all has to do how many times you've gone to church and how many little stories that you've heard. One of those stories about a man by the name of John the Baptist. Anybody heard about John the Baptist? Okay. Now, he wasn't called John the Baptist because he was a Baptist. He was John the Baptist because he was, a, he was a baptizer. That was one of the things that he did. He baptized people. And so Jesus one day was teaching some of his close friends in a place called Galilee, and he's getting ready to send them out. And a couple of guys walk up to Jesus, and they, and they, and they say, look, we got a couple of questions. And they identified themselves as disciples of John the Baptist. And they said, listen, John sent us here to ask you a question. And he's wanting to know if you're really Jesus, the Messiah. He's really wanting to know that. If you're the one that was sent from God. If you're the one that we've been 
waiting for. Now, up front, you might say, well, why in the world didn't John the Baptist, why didn't he ask him that question himself? But the answer to that question is because John was where? John was in prison. See, John had been put in prison because John was preaching the Word of God, and John was preaching about sin, and John had preached about sin in front of and preached against some political leaders, political leaders by the name of Herod and Herodias. And I don't know if you know that much about that story, but there was a guy by the name of Herod Antipas. You may remember the story. And he had a father by the name of King Herod. If you go back to the early days in the story of Matthew chapter 2, the early days of uh, the story of the Christmas story, you remember there was a King Herod had put this decree out that all the babies, the male babies, be born under the age of two, that they be they'd be slaughtered. You guys remember that? The male babies be born. He put that decree out. Well, this was, this was Herod Antipas. That was, his, that was his father. Well, Herod Antipas also had some brothers. He had several brothers, as a matter of fact. One of those brothers, his name was Herod Philip, and he was married to a niece, get a load of that, whose name was Herodias. Well, one day, Philip was, he was out doing his, his Herod Philip stuff, and while he was gone, Herodias decides she's going to have an affair with her uncle, okay, Herod Antipas, or her brother-in-law, depending on however you want to look at it. Well, I don't care what culture you're in, that probably doesn't look very well. So anyway, there's a stink that happens, and John gets a hold of it, and he starts preaching against it. Philip comes back, John's preaching against it. Herod Antipas thought it's, well, you know, it's sort of not that big of a deal, Herodias didn't like it at all. She wants him put in prison. So Herod Antipas takes John and he puts him in prison. Now he, he sends him to a prison that was attached to a, a, a palace that his father had down in the southern area, down in the eastern side of the kingdom. It was a terrible place. I think I've got maybe a, a picture of it. Is there a picture of this? See if there's a picture of this. You're looking for it. There it is. Out in the middle of nowhere. So there's a, there's a palace that's up on the top of this hill, and attached to this palace, back in that day, there was a dungeon. And that was where they stuck John. They stuck John in this, in this dungeon. He put him in that prison, and there he, he was left. And there was some time that passed. And so John's sitting in this prison, and all this time, as he sits there, He's sitting and he's thinking and he's got these emotions and he's gotten these thoughts that are going on. And these probably some of the same thoughts and same, some of the same emotions that those of us in this room has had at some point in time in your life. You know, when you get to facing some times of difficulty. I mean, how many of you guys have asked some questions? I mean, about what you believe. I mean, is, is what I believe, is it, really, is it really true? Is it real? I mean, is God who he says he is? I mean, is, is all this stuff real? And so John's got some questions that are going on. And then, you know, it's not a question about whether or not John loves Jesus or Jesus loves John because, man, here's John. John, they knew who John was before they knew who Jesus was. And John was the one that introduced Jesus and said, man, listen, I'm not the one you need to follow. You need to follow Jesus. I'm not even worthy to tie shoes. This is the Lamb of God. Behold Him, the one who came and, be, and will take away the sins of the world. And it was Jesus a little bit later that would make the comment about, about John that where he would say that, man, listen, of all the people in the world, he said, this is the greatest. John is one of the greatest. I tell you the truth, no greater than there, than there is than John the Baptist. So you don't have to worry about how they felt. But here is John in prison, 
and he's struggling. But I wonder why he's struggling, and it doesn't make an awful lot of sense until you get down to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. And I want to read this to you because this is what it says. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, now this is very, very interesting, and I'm going to take a map in a second. I'm going to show you something that's going to help you better understand. But I don't really necessarily know about you, but if somebody's been put in prison, there's sort of a a thought process of what should go on. And if I'm trying to prove to you that Jesus loved John, this is probably a passage of Scripture that I would have left out, okay? I would probably have left this passage of Scripture out. But I want you to look down at Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, if you've got this, and let's read this together. I'll have it on the screen for you as well. So when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, it said he left Judea, and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, and then he left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, that doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. Well, I got a map. We got a map up here. Who's back there running that thing? Brian, you got a map? Show me a map. Now, look. Can y'all see that? See that little red dot where it says Jerusalem in Emmaus? Okay, so this is where Jesus, this is where Jesus is. So Jesus goes north to Nazareth, up by Galilee, and then he goes over to Capernaum. So when he hears that, that uh, John has been arrested, Jesus goes north. But you've got John, who's preaching along the, uh, the Jordan River, which is this line going between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And when they arrest him... They take him to Machaerus. Are you with me? So you got Jesus, when he hears that John has been arrested, Jesus goes north. They bring John south to Machaerus. Now, it would seem to me, it just seems logical. If Jesus is a friend, and if Jesus loved John, it would seem like he'd just make a hop, skip, and jump, jump right over there and, to Machaerus and, and check on John to see what's going on. I mean, doesn't that make sense to you? I mean, isn't that what you would do with a good friend if you knew they were in trouble? I mean, I can imagine me getting word that Brian Williams is in jail. And all of a sudden, I head north. And he's sitting in jail like going, where's Sid at? I don't know, man. So here's, get a load of this. So here's John in prison in the desert. And here's Jesus up by the Sea of Galilee sitting at the beach. That's where he is. I mean, something just doesn't look right there, does it? So you got about a year and a half, and John is still in prison. He's got questions. And so John sends these people to Jesus and says, Man, listen, I got a question. I got a question. I hear all these rumors about all this stuff that's happening and all these things that are taking place and all these rumors about these healings and people's lives that are being changed. Would you please tell me what's going on? So John sends these guys out, and they, and they said in Matthew 11, Are you the Messiah, the one that we've been expecting? Should we keep looking, or should we keep looking for somebody else? By the way, because John wants to know. You know, the one that you left in prison. He wants to know that. And we don't have to wonder what's said, because it tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, Jesus told them, go back and tell Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and what you have seen. The blind see, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cured, and the deaf 
here, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. I want you to go and tell them that I am the one, that I am who who you say that I am. And I want you to tell them about everything that's going on. Go tell them. But you know what? When you're in the prison, or you're in the desert, or you're in a low, low place, it can be hard to hear. It can be hard to discern. And it can be easy to feel as if God has abandoned you. Now, just to show a hands really quickly, how many of you have ever been at a place where you feel like God has abandoned you honestly? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you deal with those times? See, the story of John the Baptist is one to go back and remember. I mean, because here's a story where John declared Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And here's a story where Jesus declared John as one of the greatest. And yet here's John facing and feeling abandoned and questioning. And at the end of that, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, there's a very important statement that's made. It's very, very interesting. And this is what it says in Matthew eleven six. 6. It says, and tell him, by the way, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. The New International Version says this, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, let me say it for you this, this way. Blessed is the man who holds on when I don't do what they think that I should do. Blessed is the man who continues to believe when I don't do what they think that I should do. Blessed is the man who continues to be faithful and trustworthy when I don't answer the prayers the way that I think that they that I should answer their prayers blessed are those who continue to trust and follow me in spite of what I do blessed are those who continue to trust me when it looks like I am not trustworthy blessed are those that continue to believe that I am trustworthy even when it seems that I'm not paying attention that's a good word that's a good word and that's a word for us to be able to hold on to today there's another story you know I wish I could go back and tell you that John got out of prison and that things would change and that man he would become one of the greatest evangelists but do you know the story John would die there in that prison John would die there. But then the other story is about a man by the name of Lazarus. And real quickly, I don't know if you know, but there in that area where John the Baptist used to baptize, here's Jesus, and he's, he's preaching and he's teaching. And one day there's, there's a gentleman that comes to him and talks to him about this man that's sick and his sisters that sent him and, and that he's a man that he loves. And Jesus automatically knows exactly who he's, who he's talking about, even though Jesus probably loves all of us. Jesus knew exactly who he was talking about. And instead of going, he stays right where he was. And again, we're back to that expectation. I mean, if somebody comes and tells you they're sick, I mean, isn't there this protocol? I mean, isn't there these expectations of what you should do? I mean, wouldn't you expect Jesus to, 
okay, well, let's go. Guys, we got to go. Lazarus is sick, the guy that I love. But that's not what happens. He stays where he is. He doesn't go. And they're like, the disciples are, aren't we going to go? No. <laughs> no, we're not going. And in John chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, it says, Although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. And he stayed there for a few more days. And Lazarus was sick. And so you know the story because Lazarus would eventually what? But Jesus sees a bigger, he sees a bigger picture. Now we do know the ending of this story because Lazarus would be raised from the dead. And it was Jesus that said something in reference to this, that God would use this event so that God would be glorified. And so that they would use this and they would know that he was who that he said he was. But Lazarus would get sicker and sicker and sicker and eventually he would die. But for the glory of God. You know, and you read stories like that and you, and you say... <laughs> You know, but how could God allow things like that to happen? I mean, how, man, forget the stuff that I read in the Bible. How could God allow some things that I'm going through to happen? Because if he loved me, and if he cared for me, and if he was who he says he was, why do I feel the way that I feel? Why do I feel that he's so, so far? Why can't I hear his voice? Why do I feel that God is so distant? Why do I feel that God is so disinterested in what's going on in my life? If you've not felt that way, you will. It's a terrible place to feel. Steve, you ever been there? Yeah, we've had those conversations. I've told the overseers before, I can't hear God's voice. And that's a discouraging place to be. So what do you do in that time when, there's, when you can't hear his voice? Do you just walk away? What do you do when things aren't going the way that you, that you think they should go? What do you, what do, you do when, when this is falling apart, when, when there just seems to be no answer and you can't fix it? What happens when you, when you can't put all the pieces together and it doesn't seem to be working the way that it should work? Do you just... Do you put Christianity on the side? Do you put God on the side? Or do you hold on and say, God, even in this, I'm going to trust you. Even though I don't understand it, and even though it doesn't make any sense to God, I'm going to hold on to this because I believe. Because I, I have I've got faith. But how many people, when we get to that place that our faith is tested, do we turn around and we run? How many faithless believers are on the outside looking in? That at one point in time, they filled the churches. And we wonder why people on the outside are looking in and wondering, what's going on on the inside? Because something's not right. Because what I read in the Scripture, and what should be happening, it ain't happening. And so you got a guy like it was last Sunday night to say, man, something's wrong. Because what I've seen and what I've experienced tonight here." It's different from what I've seen in other places. Man, this is faith at work. 
This is somebody holding on even though the struggle is there and it's real. It's honest. There's people that are supporting one another. There's people that are holding on to their faith and they're not letting go. There's a wrestling, there's a tension that's there. But they're saying, God, even in the middle of this, I'm going to trust you. And that there's a purpose in my pain. Let me go back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, and he says, And tell them God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. And listen to this. This is really key for us today. In the Greek, makarios. Happy is. God blesses those. Happy are those who do not turn away because of me. Self-contained in the Greek, it means to be content. Self-contained. There is contentment in God. God blesses. There is contentment in God for those who do not turn away. In the Greek, there was, a, there was an island, the Isle of Cyprus. And they called it the Happy Isle, the Isle of, of, the, the Isle of Happiness. And they believed that everything that was needed was there, could be found on that island. It was self-contained. It was complete. It was internal. Everything that you needed for happiness could be found there. Soil, climate, location, everything was self-contained. And I think what, what Matthew is saying, what's saying here, and what, and what Jesus is implying is that, listen, God blesses those who find contentment in me. I think that's what he's saying. Listen, don't look for it on the outside, but God blesses though there is a happiness, there is a contentment when you look to me, and I am your source of contentment. It's there. And so we go back just for a second and we think about the statements really quickly. Those lies, those statements that seem to come our way, those tendencies, those things that we have a tendency to believe, those statements like, I'll never be happy again. It's not true. Nothing good will ever come from this. There's no hope. Man, listen, that's why Jesus died. There is hope. And so you got to say, okay, God, if... Listen, if there's hope then, and if I'm going to trust you, and if I'm going to hold on to what I believe, and, I'm going to, and my faith is being tested, if I'm going to hold on right now, and I'm not going to let go, then there's got to be some kind of purpose in the pain. There's got to be something in the midst of this. I want to let go right now. The pain and the hurt and the suffering is so, so difficult, and I really want to let go. But Jesus, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Brian talked about, about groups earlier. Let me tell you how important it is because when you go through difficulty, you need the support. But the tendency, our natural tendency is when we're going through something difficult, is to draw away from people and to separate ourselves. Isn't that right, Gus? I can always tell when somebody's going through something difficult. You know why it is? They start to separate themselves. They start to pull away from themselves. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody's got a problem except for them. That's just one of the excuses. That's how Satan works. But I have to ask myself, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. But in the midst of this, the pain is so difficult. So there's got to be a purpose in the pain. So God, will you help me see through this? Help me see through it. Because if you are who you say you are, and if I'm committed in this to hold on and to not let go, God, will you help me? You help me because this tension is Lord. Help me 
to find the purpose in the pain. And you know what? You're never probably going to see it in the midst of it until you're far, far away from it. And one day looking back, Heather, you can't see it when you're in the midst of it until one day you're looking back, Sharon. This is something that Sherry and I have talked about. You can't see it until you're one day looking back. I mean, it's, it's a mess here. But if you hold on, you'll one day look back and see it was a purpose. And Jesus, I didn't understand it. But even in that, I trusted you. Let me pray over you. Jesus, speak to our hearts today. You are our only hope. Not our circumstances, not our situations, not money in the wallet, not a car we drive or the amount of friends that we have. You are our only hope. Father, I pray that today that you'll open our eyes and, Father, help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, that we'll realize that this world provides only temporary satisfaction, but that our hope and our our hope and our dependence is on you and you alone. For someone that may be here and walking through a time of crisis, Father, I pray that even maybe this morning they would just, just say, Lord Jesus, I want to trust you. For that believer that's here, Jesus, I don't understand, but even today, Jesus, I want to trust you. I believe that there's some purpose in the pain. Help me to sustain. And Father, help me to, to, uh, to walk through this time surround them with people that will encourage them and for the non-believer that's here that doesn't know christ father maybe this time time of difficulty is something that's drawing them close to you even this morning father would they come to me and say i don't know a lot about jesus but would you talk to me about a personal relationship with him and what it means to trust him bless us now as we go out into this community and father i remember the words of that young man this last this last sunday night may we live for jesus May we not just talk about him, but Father, may our actions and our words, may they, may they match. Father, may we seek to make a difference in the world in which we live, in the, our homes, in our places of business, in our schools, and Father, in the places that we work and play. Father, may you use us to be your ambassadors in this community. That's what I'm asking in Jesus' name. Amen.